Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Aaron Marler, and this is the Voice in the Wilderness podcast. On today's episode, my guest is one of the smartest people I know, and he's my uncle, Michael Penny. And today we're going to be discussing what it means to be Pentecostal and why everybody should be Pentecostal. So without any further hesitation, let's get right into this discussion. All right. Well, we've already been having a really good discussion before I even press record, but today's topic is going to be about Pentecostals and the history of it and just going to get a general discussion of like why being Pentecostal is pretty important. But first, I want to ask you, if you don't mind sharing your uh, salvation story with us, just so we get an idea of your background and how you uh, came to Christ. Sure. Well, first of all, for me, I was not raised in a church environment. I went to church probably maybe twice by the age of 10. There was a church that was, I believe, a four-square denominational church that I have a very dim recollection of. All I remember basically is the sanctuary and the wooden uh, pews, Uh, but I don't remember anything else about it because I was so young. The second time I can recall being in a church as a child was during a family trip to the Cathedral of Tomorrow in Ohio, where my grandfather was a member for a number of years. And I remember that uh, very much because of the things like TV cameras in an actual church sanctuary, that was unusual, and all of that because they uh, broadcast services there. But honestly, I was not raised in church. Dad was raised uh, Church of God, Pentecostal, uh, basically from birth. And Mom, she had a uh, background in Pentecost, having gone to an Assemblies of God in her early teens and being baptized in the spirit there she was fully committed as a christian uh, at at that time uh, born again there and then baptized in the spirit unfortunately as so often happens people get burnt in churches mom and dad actually met in a pentecostal church but by the time that i came along uh, they had already been out of church for a couple years by that point they were what was considered good people god-fearing although uh, they did not uh, attend church, hardworking, honest, good neighbors, all, all of that sort of thing. What we, uh, we used to have a term for it. We just called good people. And I was always taught to respect God. My sister and I were taught a Bible is not just like any other book. It's not just black ink on white paper. This is God's word. And you respected that. Uh, houses of worship were to be respected because they were a witness of the value of the work of Christ in the community. It wasn't just another building. It was something set apart for God's worship. And so, although we didn't have a church background, we were always taught a healthy respect for God. But when the Holy Spirit started drawing mom back into full fellowship, she decided uh, about the time I was about 10 years old or so, that uh, it was time to go back to church. It would be good for the kids. It'd be good for the kids. Yes, it would be good for the kids. And after going, and naturally, she picked a Pentecostal church. And after a year of attending there, she recommitted her life to the Lord and, and all and brought 
me and sister along for the ride. And so <laughs> <laughs> that's where um, a number of interesting things happened. First of all, before going to a Pentecostal church, mom and dad thought it would be best to explain about some things that we might see there, one of which was tongues. You know, Basically the disclaimer before you walk in, like, these are the things you'll see. Ex- Don't get scared. Exactly. Here's it. This is something that people do who are Christians, who are Pentecostal. And so don't be surprised when you see and hear this. It's in the Bible. It's a good thing. You know, don't worry about this. And so when we went to church and people were uh, speaking in tongues and they would pray in the spirit and sing in the spirit. In fact, I remember it was not unusual at that time for an entire congregation to sing in in the spirit, uh, to sing in tongues. That would be wild to see, honestly. I sadly, it is something that I have not seen in a long time, and that I've never is, seen that. it's a, a wonderful thing. By the time that actually, we were going to church in the 1970s. Sadly, a lot of the Pentecostal expressions, both in worship and, and other things, had greatly been dialed back. See, the thing about it is whenever God's spirit moves, what you find out is as the generations pass, the fire always burns hottest at the beginning, at, at the core of the, of, the, of the flame. And the farther the flame goes, the, it, it's almost like when you drop a rock in the water, that wave is strongest at the epicenter, like an earthquake. And as it spreads out, well, as... It's almost kind of like when you first get saved, yeah. Like you're really on fire for God and you're really going at him. And, and then things cool down. And then things kind of cool down. Most and people it, aren't really prepared for the cool down. Well, and that's it. And and generations had passed since back in 1901, or pardon me, 1900, I believe, when Agnes Osmond first spoke in tongues at Charles Parham's Bible School in Kansas, which was really the beginning of the modern Pentecostal movement from... There, Pentecost spread as Parham preached it in Zion City, and many of John Dowie's supporters became Pentecostals. He preached and taught it in Texas, where a young African-American minister named William Seymour heard it, and then Seymour went to California to be part of home prayer meetings, which the Holy Spirit showed up at uh, in a profound way, and they moved to a building on Azusa Street, from which... Pentecost spread to all corners of the nation and from there basically all over the world. But from the early 1900s to the time that I first encountered Pentecost in in the mid-70s, several generations had passed. And although there had been moves of the Spirit in the 40s, in the 50s, in the 60s, many of the Pentecostal expressions in Pentecostal churches had declined severely. Now, when we went to church, of course, like I say, there was tongues, there was singing in tongues, and there was still belief in the gifts of the Spirit and in the miraculous. For instance, probably within a year to a year and a half after attending that church, I went into the hospital. And uh, what happened was I was in a tremendous amount of pain and they needed to find out why. Well, they 
ran several tests on me, took some x-rays, and they were very concerned about how certain of my organs were operating. And I was in ridiculous amounts of pain. I mean, seriously, when, because they didn't want to give me painkillers. They were concerned, I guess, about them interfering with tests or something. How old were you when you went to the hospital? I'm going to guess probably somewhere around 11 years old. Oh, wow. And so I was in ridiculous amounts of pain. When a nurse leaves your room in tears and gets in the doctor's <laughs> face and says, you are going to give this kid some drugs. You um, see, they that... are just so good. Like that stuff right there. That is what you love to hear as a parent, probably. <laughs> I'm sure my grandmother and grandfather were like, you know what? That's reassuring. <laughs> we know, feel so much better you know. now. But I, w- I was in ridiculous amounts of pain. And at that point, you know, my mother is, is getting a very bad report about the test results from uh, these doctors and all that. It's like, look, we see this test. This is what it indicates. We're going to go back and we're going to run this again. And the second test come back, you know what? It's not entirely, you know, it, it still looks bad. We're not getting as much clarity on this as we'd like, but it does, this does not look, you know, particularly good. And so, you know, they're telling mom and dad this. And <laughs> at that point, mom gets on the phone with a, uh, a relative, uh, also Pentecostal, and basically is talking uh, Michael's in the hospital. He needs a healing. What do I need to do? And basically it's like, look, can you nag? (laughs) 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 Can I nag? And it's like, seriously, just ask my husband. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so she said, basically, these are the ways that people talk to each other and it's like what you need to do is you need to get on God's coattails and you don't stop until you get what you ask for and it's what the Pentecostals used to call praying through you prayed until you knew you got the result you got the answer you got the result it happened and having to come and from a so, mother whose kid is in the hospital. I'm sure like when, it wasn't hard for her to just nag and keep going after God. No, when, when your kid is hurting and, you go and you're getting a bad report, you, you will... You'll go to links that you wouldn't go for anyone else. And that's it. And so she did call because mom and dad knew. Uh, you call for the elders of the church. They, come, they came out, anointed me with oil in the hospital bed. I remember I was basically out like a light and I remember waking up and you know you can feel something greasy on your forehead because yeah. naturally you're waking up it's like okay oil like something happened <laughs> there uh, there's oil I see three guys that I don't know they're around my bed they're praying you know some are praying in English some are praying in tongues I look over there's mom she's nodding it's like yeah but by that time I'd already been in church long enough that I had heard it taught yeah you know so it wasn't this is shocking to you no it was that would have been a trip to see <laughs> if they didn't tell you anything and then you wake up you're greasy and there's people you don't understand what they're saying well, that would trip you out as an 11 year old exactly <laughs> and so uh, naturally they prayed for me and they went back for another round of tests and those tests came back good. Really? They they did. 
and and so uh, all of the worst case scenario fears were completely off the table. The doctors did do a minor uh, surgical procedure because I think they actually had to justify uh, <laughs> having me in the here. hospital. It's like, he's been here a while. We got to put in for insurance. We got to do something with this kid. Goodness. So uh, <laughs> you're right. Like, let's just, let's so, just hit him a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> indeed. So uh, one thing, I, I, so for me, understanding meant being a Christian meant being Pentecostal. Being Pentecostal meant speaking in tongues. It meant believing in healing. It meant believing in, in what the old-time Pentecostals basically would express it this way. They talked about the fourfold gospel, which was the full gospel. Christ our Savior, Christ our baptizer in the Holy Spirit, Christ our healer, and Christ our soon-coming king. And those were the four emphasis that they preached and that they taught and that they believed. And even though the Pentecostal expressions of worship and many of the Pentecostal gifts were not so much in evidence in churches that I was seeing in the 70s, although they were in, obviously, you know, they never stopped. There were places they were very much in evidence, but we saw in many churches a decline, in many Pentecostal churches a decline by the 70s. And so by the time that God healed me in the hospital, this was not unexpected. I had been taught enough to know, which brings me back to your original question about my salvation experience, <laughs> because this all happens before I get saved. Oh, really? This is my background. I'm healed before I'm all already saved. But you see, I'm under the covering of my parents, and I have a Christian parent who's praying for me and who's bringing in the elders and doing what you're supposed to do. And, and she's interceding for me. And so at that point, I'm under her covering. Therefore, God is extending his mercy and his power towards me. And I've already seen the expression of the spirit in tongues. And I know this to be real. Well, I'm about 10 years, 11 years old. You know, that frontal lobe isn't anywhere yeah. near being fully formed and all that. But I know Lots enough to... <laughs> where you're just fully aware of everything and you know everything. Yeah. You haven't reached that level yet. <laughs> so, you know, I had heard it enough that I thought, you know, I guess I'm supposed to be born again. This is a good thing, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I, but I didn't real, but I wasn't really committed and I knew it. It's like, yeah, I need to do this because this is kind of what you're supposed to you're do. Like, I got healed. I think I own this. You know, it's like, this. you know, somewhere, somewhere in this, in the neighborhood of this time frame, And then God brought us down from the Midwest down to the Southeast. And I was not, you know, uh, where I should be with the Lord. I, and, and I knew this, by the way. But I felt pretty secure because mom had been praying for dad and dad wasn't in full fellowship with the Lord. And, and it's like, you know, he needs to be right with the Lord. And, and, and the Lord had assured her that he was not coming back. You know, dad would be right with him by the time that that he returned and it's like oh good as long as dad is not <laughs> as long as dad's not in full fellowship with the lord i can slack you know like, oh, i'm good you it know, was your little measuring is, stick you're like it was, yeah I'm, as long as dad as long yeah. as dad's still you know not quite right with god i'm safe i've and got, so I've got like, another day <laughs> and so but we came down 
and it's uh, getting to the, 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 the story here. We came down here and it was an interesting thing because when we moved down here, a couple things happened. First of all, we continued to go to very reserved Pentecostal charismatic fellowships in, in Alabama. But what happened is we went to visit my dad's uncle and aunt who lived in Rossville, Georgia, just across the state line from Chattanooga. We showed up there one night and it was either a Friday or Saturday. And they said, look, we're going to church. Y'all are welcome to whatever's in the uh, icebox, the remote controls in the, uh, on the recliner, watch what you like, eat what you like, you're spending the night, or you can go to church with us. Well, to everyone's delight, mom decided, yeah, we're going to church, you know. All and the we, kids rejoiced. <laughs> indeed. And so because it's like, wait a minute, this isn't Wednesday night. This is Sunday. What are, you, what are they having on church on Friday or Saturday, whatever it is? And so we ended up going there to this, more, let's just say it was a very somewhat picturesque <laughs> area. And, and we're down there in this uh, rundown storefront church. And the praise and worship was consisting of an out-of-tune, clunky old piano that the pastor's wife uh, played in a couple of tambourines that, that people there played badly. And, uh, but they started singing some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. And at that point you thought they were about to, because the Holy Spirit descended on that place as people worship and people were shouting and people were dancing and people were running. And I saw for the first time what my mother and father had seen. Well, dad had seen it back in the forties, fifties and, and early sixties. Mom had seen it in the uh, early 1960s, full-on Pentecostal worship. And at that point, uh, my sister and I are looking at each other. It's like, wow, this is, <laughs> we were not, we were surprised by this. But it's like, okay, this is what Pentecostals do. And so uh, after, th after that, mom and dad explained, yes, this is what Pentecostals do when they worship. This is how dad said, this is what I saw when I was raised in, in the church of this God. This is how it should be. And this is how it should be. And it's like, okay. And so that made a profound impression on me. You have to understand there was a number of things that in going to my salvation experience, first of all, going to a, a church for the first time on regularly, seeing and hearing people speak in tongues and all that, God healing me in that hospital, seeing full-on Pentecostal worship in that church, in, in, in that storefront church in Rossville, Georgia. Then there was mom's near-death experience, okay, <laughs> which uh, I will, I know at some point you will speak with her. Oh, yeah, no, she's going to be on here. <laughs> and and I, it, it, you have to understand, dad wasn't with the Lord at the time. No, he wasn't. Um, no, he I wasn't. I always assumed he, he was. No, dad was not in fellowship with the Lord. My sister is like, what, six or seven years old, maybe. I'm, I'm not yet in my teens, and I'm the only one she can talk to. And, you know, when, when God, and I won't go into the details because I, I, that's her story to tell, but the Lord showed up and basically told her she was going to die and gave her essentially basically a timetable of this well she tried talking to dad about it <laughs> he didn't want one year it's like this is not a topic for discussion and you know people tried to spiritualize it away 
until basically she talked to dad's uncle, the one that we were visiting. And it's like, did Jesus tell you you were going to die? Yes. Then you're going to die. You know, it's <laughs> like, just make your reality. It's a and lot more simple. It's, it's a, sometimes you just got to take Jesus at his word. When yeah. he tells you something, he really means what he's going to say. And you understand, I'm like 12 years old. And I'm the only one she can talk to. And, and you know, I really didn't reflect on this until probably in the last year. I'm in my mid-50s now. But I never really reflected on how this affected me. And it's like, you know what? She knew dad was going to fall apart when she died. That he, it would be devastating for him. That my sister was going to be too young to understand why mom died. And I was the only one who had sort of kind of a relationship with the Lord. Even though I really was. Even though we were just holding out because... Yeah, he was. I, he was still one day. He had one more day. As long as Dad was, and I have to tell you, I still remember those services in Rossville, Georgia, in those metal folding chairs. I, I, I would not be surprised if there, were, if my fingerprints were embedded on the back of some of those chairs because I gripped those things during altar calls so tightly to keep from going down there. I mean, I had a death grip on those things, but you were fighting it. And oh yeah, and so Mom basically goes through this process. And then there was the time that when the day came and there was the accident and the trip to the emergency room and mom went through her, what is now referred to as a near death experience and got to pay a visit to the Lord, but he sent her back. Mm -hmm. And because of something she had prayed months earlier. And I'm, she's telling me this, all these months in advance as we're going through this. And I realized how this impacted me because I had to prepare myself for that, for the reality of this. And then to see the goodness of the Lord displayed in sending mom back to us and the impact it had on her life. And so uh, heaven was not a theory for her. It wasn't a fairy tale. It wasn't black ink on white paper that was being proclaimed from a platform. It was a real place. Jesus is a real person. The glorified Christ is a real person. And and it impacted me greatly. But I'm still holding out. You know, I'm 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 I am not there yet. And then dad's coming home from work one night. And basically the Lord starts speaking to him in the car on the way back from the factory. John, yes Lord, you know you need me. Yes, yes I know that. You need to basically come to me. And it's like, yeah, uh, uh, like, John, you, you, if you don't come to me, I'm going to have to take you out. Jeez. <laughs> it's like, that's harsh. <laughs> See, it, because uh, it was like, yeah, it's like, okay. You know, and it's like, I mean, people have a hard time wrapping themselves around that. Notion. That's kind of funny. But it's there's like a, a point where it's, it's like, like, like where, take where, you out there's a point where you reach a moment where it's like, you know, yeah. For the sake of your wife, for the sake of your children, you've got to be right with me. Period. And I know a lot of people freak out about that, but the, I'm telling you, this is just what happened. And so, uh, Dad said, "Okay, I'll try it for a year." Well, he gave him a year. <laughs> no, that is so Dad. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like if you that knew, is yeah. so Dad. And he didn't tell Mom for probably about three days afterwards. Now, that's funny. And that, again, is so Dad. They're having 
breakfast one morning and it's like, well, you know, I was coming home from work the other night and the Lord spoke to me and this is what he said and this is what I said. He said, well, what did you tell him? He said, I tell him I tried for a year. And that... I bet she nearly <laughs> that killed <year's>, him. Oh, <laughs> and so, but that, yeah, and it's like, okay, I'll try it for a year, which of course meant... The for free the, trial. For the next, probably, I think it was something like 30... To 33 years of his life. Uh, it's like, okay, he's got you now. Yeah. At that point, I'm like, oh, no! Now, now my, my insurance policy is up. Like, now I have to go through he, it. Yeah, he did it's it. like, now I have to. It's like, oh, man. So they ended up getting me a, uh, you know, it's sort of funny when you think back to these things and, and you just have to laugh at the way God handles you over a period of time. And, uh, my family, the way God deals with us, it is a hoot. So at any rate, one night I get this uh, audio tape back when everything was on audio cassette tape. And it was a uh, teaching by a fellow named Hal Lindsey, uh, uh, well-known Bible prophecy teacher. And there was all this hubbub going on in the Middle East, always some hubbub in the Middle East. Like I said, this I'm, time I'm, so, it, I'm so glad things have changed. Indeed. And it happened to be with <laughs> Lebanon. <laughs> things really have changed, haven't they? Goodness. And so uh, there was all this hubbub between Lebanon and Israel and all of this. And there was speculation about where this might lead. And could this be the precursor to the beginning of the... Uh, book of revelation but certain things had to line up in order for certain things to be fulfilled and there was lots of speculation and a detailed graphic uh, uh explanation of what would happen in the tribulation which was something you didn't want to go through and all that and so uh it's like you know what that night i basically begged god to accept me <laughs> I did not want to go through the tribulation. I did not want to be here for any of that. I was like, no, this is not where I want to be. And so I, and, and it's like, and I knew I'd put him off. So I begged him to accept me. People are always like, well, I found the Lord as though somehow the Lord was the one who was lost. Or I accepted Jesus uh, as my savior. So somehow you know, you did God a big favor by condescending to accept his son's sacrifice. It wasn't that way with me. It's like, no, I'm the <laughs> one who's begging to be accepted, okay? This, it's like God up here, me down here. I, I understand the, the pecking order, okay? But I realized within, honestly, a day or so, it's like, you know what? I can't serve him out of fear because fear will fade, but love never fails, if I'm going to serve the Lord, I have to love him enough to serve him for the rest of my life, no matter what comes. And so it was in just a couple of days after that that I really dedicated my life to him. It's like, you Lord, Lord, I'm going to serve you, period. You know, I'm yours and I'm going to and you're mine and I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life and beyond. And that's when I really became a Christian. Uh, I knew a lot about Christians. I had seen a lot, but that's when I really committed my life to the Lord. And so, and that brought on the next logical step because it was understood. If you were a Christian, you needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was... It, it, that was it, just the next logical yeah, step. Yeah, in Pentecostal and charismatic circles, I mean, this is what you were taught. You're saved, 
you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. You, you know, this he, is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. This was this was a no-brainer. But for me, that was not an easy step because I tend to be a thinker. And my thing is, I don't want to do anything in the flesh. And I don't know how you're supposed to do this thing. And I want to make sure that I do it right. And so I really struggled with it. And a lot of people do. A lot of people did and a lot of people do. Receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, and, and understand, I'm an old school initial evidence boy. The evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. You are speaking in a language that you don't know, that you've never learned. Now, whether it is a tongue that's spoken by human beings or it's the tongue, uh, tongues of angels, however the Holy Spirit expresses himself in whatever language he expresses himself, which is not always the same language every time, but when you're speaking in that unknown tongue, whatever that unknown tongue is, that's the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Happened in the house of Cornelius, the first time that, uh, you know, when the gospel came to the Gentiles and all this. And I know that there are those who have a major theological wedgie. Sorry, that's just the way it is. I know there are those who believe that you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues. The problem is they really don't have a really good argument for this. Yeah, there's nothing to back it up in a sense. I mean, we all receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, at the moment of salvation. Yeah. But even in the book of Acts, basically, Paul looked at believers and said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, these are already believers in Jesus Christ. <laughs> and it's like, you believe, but you haven't received the baptism. All of the apostles... All of the 120 were already believers and followers of Jesus Christ after the resurrection. And yet they had not received the baptism. There was a part in the Gospels where Jesus blows on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So they already had the Holy Spirit. They already had salvation, but they had not received the baptism. And he expressly commanded them in Acts chapter 1, tarry here in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, until you be endued with power from on high. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, then you go out. His commandment to them, and it says in chapter 1 of Acts, he commanded them. And that's the thing that always gets me about people that are, you know, really having an issue with the idea of they don't want to speak in tongues. And it's like, wait a minute, what do you mean you don't want to speak in tongues? Uh, what's up with that? <laughs> well, you know, uh, and I'm not to hear the, the, the excuses. Well, I don't really need to speak in tongues to be a Christian. Well, okay, I hear that. And there are many Christians who never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Their denominations or their churches don't teach it. They teach that it ended in the first century. And so they're not seeking after it because they're taught that it ended. That that ended. It was a thing, and then exactly. afterwards they just kind of stopped doing it. But the Holy Spirit manifests in two different ways, in fruit and in gifts. When you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit moves into you, he moves into you, 
and immediately he begins to teach you be not conformed to this world be transformed by the renewing of your mind and he begins retooling the way you think and the way you act and the fruit of the spirit comes through you the fruit of the spirit of these love joy peace etc now let me ask you something which of the fruit of the holy spirit would you say okay i like this one but i don't want this one i want joy and i want peace but you know what i'm not about this love and goodness part of it <laughs> you know it's like you can keep those those manifestations of the holy spirit in my life but i i only want you know peace and joy you know we you know that's not how this works yeah you don't pick and choose. it's like you don't pick and choose like this is a smorgasbord these are the fruit of the spirit that i want in my life whereas these are not although it appears that many people are going down that road the same thing with the gifts you don't pick and choose the holy spirit chooses how he will manifest through you and in the book of acts it's obvious that the initial evidence is speaking in tongues and I know that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. But nevertheless, that is what the, the scripture says. It's like Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descended and they spoke in other tongues. And then people will try to say, well, the way it happened at Tejas Cornelius was not exactly the way that it happened on the day of Pentecost. And they want to go into theological hair splitting. The truth of the matter is, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens and you speak in a tongue, whether it's something that somebody else understands or whether it isn't, you're speaking in a tongue unknown to you. And so whether it's the tongues of men or the tongues of angels, the Holy Spirit is speaking through you. Now, first of all, if you were a Christian and Jesus commanded his followers, tarry until you be baptized with the Holy Spirit, Basically, before you teach, preach, heal, deliver, before, before you do, you do anything, thing, you have to wait. You need to be basically baptized in the Holy Spirit. This was his commandment. Tarry at Jerusalem until yeah. you receive this. It wasn't a suggestion. It was not a suggestion. It's a command. So let me ask the question simply this. It's like Jesus says this. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So... If you truly love Christ, why are you not seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Do you really love me? I mean, you get back to that question that he asked Peter. Peter, do you love me? You know, feed my lambs. How are you going to feed his lambs truly in the way that he wants you to and not be filled by the, with the Holy Spirit? When you start putting limitations on how much of God you're willing to receive, and in which ways you're willing to receive, and which expressions that the Holy Spirit will manifest himself in and through you. Do you really love him? And then there are the ones, you know, and it's like, oh, well, I don't need to do that. Really? You, you, you don't need tongues. You don't need a prayer language. Oh, no. I always know exactly what I need to pray for. Well, okay. good for them. <laughs> apparently, apparently that, that, that humility hasn't arrived in your life. But for those of us who are human beings that ever encounter a situation in our lives where it's like, you know what? I really don't know whether to turn left or right. You don't have the I words. Don't, I don't have the words to ask what I need to ask. I don't even know what I need to ask. Then the Holy Spirit speaks through us. And, and here's the thing about it. Tongues, for instance... 
when the Holy Spirit is speaking, he is speaking the perfect heart and mind of God. It is the echo of the thought and feelings of the Father. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't like, no, God, I, it, it's, like, it's like, this is what I want to hear, and this is what I want to say. And the Holy Spirit makes this happen, and it echoes back to him, his own heart and his own mind and his own desires. You don't want that. Seriously. I mean, to echo the heart of God. Who doesn't want that? And so when, I think when people really think about this and start thinking it through, but you know what most of the time it really comes down to? It's about the tongue. The scripture tells us that the tongue is the most unruly member of the body and the most difficult to control. And you know what? When it comes down to it, we don't want to admit it, but our flesh will absolutely fight to keep control of our tongue because we will pay lip service to crucifying the flesh in every other way. But boy, when it comes to that tongue, that those lips will open. It's like, no, I'm not giving up control of my own mouth. <laughs> Many times we don't want to admit. It's like we don't want the Holy Spirit having God say in us. But many times when that happens and he's speaking out of us, first of all, we hear about decreeing and declaring nowadays a lot of times. A lot of people are saying, I decree this and I declare this. Well, you know what? The Holy Spirit's been doing that for 2,000 years through us in tongues. We don't know what he was decreeing. We don't know what he was declaring. But he was decreeing and he was declaring things in the earth. And there are things that we don't even know when we're praying in the Spirit that we don't know because he's praying for somebody that we don't know in a place that we'll never go, in circumstances that we can't conceive for purposes that only God truly can comprehend. And we're praying for other people in the Spirit. It's not just about us, but it is. It's about us being used by God for the benefit of not only for ourselves, but for all other Christians and for those who will become Christians. And so tongues is extraordinarily important we shouldn't become obsessed with tongues because there are other gifts as well. We should covet all the gifts and then recognize that the Holy Spirit moves as he wills and will manifest as he wills, as the Father wills, for his purposes. And so tongues become sort of like the gateway gift. It becomes the gateway gift by which we enter into many times other gifts. There's tongues and then people learn to give messages in tongues. And then people then understand how to interpret tongues. That's like where we, where we go to church right now. Uh, there's a woman who exclusively does tongues. She hasn't moved on to interpreting yet. There are other women who have formerly done tongues, but now they're giving interpretations. And once you have done both messages in tongues and then moved into the gift of interpretation of tongues, then you can do either or you can do both. There are times in which, you know, people will give a message in tongues and then interpret the tongues that they've just been given. So you move from uh, many times from tongues to interpretation, to being able to do tongues and interpretation, to then being able to do a prophetic word. And then there's times when, as you are used to the Holy Spirit speaking through you, and you become familiar with his voice and, and hearing from him uh, in things like interpretation of tongues and prophecy and such, you become very much acquainted with the voice of God in your life. 
and there are things like word of knowledge and word of wisdom and i remember mom in a in a service one time where she approached a woman it's like holy spirit speaking to her you need to go over here and you need to pray for this woman and you need to tell her this and it's like i don't know this woman <laughs> it's like i do not know this woman and but it's like i know i got to do this so she goes over in the in the worship service and she puts her hand it's like this is what the holy spirit told me to tell you and she starts telling her this well later on this woman's husband approaches mom it's like i need to know exactly what you told my wife i need to know everything you told i mean word for word good she's like <laughs> okay well here is what the holy spirit told me to tell her and this is what i told her and it's like okay this is what mom learned because these are just faces in the crowd in church yeah you know, we don't really know these people apparently this woman had lost a loved one and the holy spirit was speaking directly to that circumstance i don't know what what was said there but it brought her a great deal of healing and comfort and her husband's like i want to hear exactly what was said you know <laughs> and it's like okay because mom had no clue we didn't know these people didn't know their circumstances it's just the holy spirit leading and so many times what we do is we have then you you see in in tongues as i call i refer to it as the gateway gift because it, it opens it's what the starts door. everything yeah you you then move into other gifts many times and from the vocal gifts to the to the power gifts and and stuff like that what are the power gifts oh, well you uh working of miracles okay healings uh the, this sort of thing and and then you have uh, or then you have revelatory gifts which word? are more prophecy okay. word of knowledge word of wisdom uh, uh, that sort of thing where god is basically opening you to an understanding that you don't have uh you get discernment of uh, the spirits and such which is desperately needed in the body of christ today oh yeah discernment is so incredibly important and it's not something that gets taught much no sadly which you would think that would be like one of the first things it, you would be like, be uh taught it's like this is salvation this is getting baptized in the holy spirit and now that we're talking about spirits let's talk about discernment while we're on this topic you know but that's something you hardly hear about anymore going on in church it is unfortunate that in so many pentecostal and charismatic churches this has become almost lost messages it used to be again and and because my i did not know this as a child i i learned it in the last several years that my family on both sides have a longer history in pentecost than i was aware of i this year i received a little booklet and i showed it to you where my great grandmother and, and my great grandfather it's got my great grandmother's name on it it's this little book where basically she attended they have these annual get-togethers in pentecostal denominations these general assemblies where they get together and there's you know guest speakers and they talk about what's happened in the last year and what's going to happen and they pray and all this and and this was one from 1920 that she had went a hundred years ago wow and and i'm and i was like so my great-grandparents were pentecostals a hundred years ago okay and it's like okay i did not realize my family went that far back in 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 pentecostal circles because you're only like 13 14 years away from azusa street 
and 20 years from Agnes Osmond speaking in tongues at, at Parham's Bible School. And it's like, that's pretty early on. And I'm like, wow. And you took a lot of flack back in that day if you were Pentecostal. Yeah, it wasn't cool to be a Pentecostal back then. No, you were labeled ignorant. You were uh, uh, uneducated. You were a holy roller. You were called names. You were mocked. Many times you took flack. Uh, Many times business opportunities, educational opportunities, social opportunities were closed to you. Uh, Ministers of other denominations and persuasions preached messages against the baptism of the Holy Spirit, against Pentecostals. This was very much a thing. I remember that still going on in the the 70s and 80s, okay? And it was much worse. A lot of times you could just get the daylights beat out of you in the early days uh, if you were a Pentecostal just for being Pentecostal. Yeah. Like that's wild for me just to wrap my mind around that being a Pentecostal was... It meant that per- much looked down upon. It meant persecution, real Jeez. persecution, not oh somebody don't want to be my friend persecution. No, real persecution. And so, the thing about it is, you saw in those days. I think because the people that sought the move of the Holy Spirit in their lives so deeply were so desperate for it and so committed to it that God showed them a degree of Pentecostal glory and power that honestly, we don't really see a lot of today in many churches. Now, understand, there's God's always doing wonderful and glorious things, but the frequency that we're seeing and many times, sometimes the intensity that we're seeing, and I, and I speak this generally of the church in America, look, my grandfather went to meetings, Pentecostal meetings, when he was young, you know, back before, I believe, the Second World War. They were, they were small church meetings, and you have a coal-burning stove in the middle of the building, and the people would be worshiping, and they would just, like, open the door to, the, to that and reach in and grab hot coals out of the fire and walk around with them in their hands and then open the door again and throw them back in. Okay, with all due respect... I know people are very much enamored of the quality of our worship today, but let's be honest. Yeah, that's a different level. That's a different (laughs) level of worship right there. Uh, You know, when my... Well, see, the thing is, you said that they were desperate back then. And everything, they were going through things that other people, if they said they were like a Baptist or a Methodist or something, they probably weren't going to go through at the same time. Exactly. So it's like, when you're proclaiming to be a Pentecostal at that time and you're getting abused for it verbally, sometimes physically, and being told you can't, you know, do certain things because you are Pentecostal. Right. It's like, yeah, you're going to go after God harder. And when you do pray, there's something behind it because you're not just staking, you know, oh, I'm just a Pentecostal. You're like, I'm a, I'm staking a lot on this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, in a way, like, why God would move more. It's like, because there's a honesty behind it, a, a desperate, like you said, a desperation behind it, where it's like, I have to have this right now. You are all I want. You are all I need. You are all I desire. You are all that matters. The world and what it offers isn't important. You are the most important thing. And they didn't go to church to meet a spouse. They didn't go to church 
for a business opportunity or to get votes or to promote their business. It was all about God and they experienced God in profound ways. When my grandmother was baptized in the Holy Spirit, she did not speak in English for three days. And that was a, I mean, when she got baptized in the Holy Spirit, she got baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know? <laughs> and so, and, and this was not an uncommon thing. And so what concerns me as I look around the landscape is that there has been an extraordinary decline in manifestations of the gifts, of many gifts. How many, and let's be honest, there is a lot of criticism in Pentecostal churches of tongues and interpretation. There are many times people who are in Pentecostal churches who are criticizing tongues. And, and this isn't as like, that's crazy. It does uh, make sense. It's like, that's what you're in here for. It, you well, know, you're, it's what you should be here yeah. for. But if you're not, why are you here? And I think that what's going to happen really soon is God is going to basically draw a very hard distinction between the Pentecostal label and the Pentecostal label. Hmm. Okay. There's going to come a serious division between those who are really looking to follow hard on it. Uh, after God, it's like, I will follow you. I will do, you will, I will do whatever you want and you can do whatever you want in and through me. And those who are like, you know what? Uh, sorry, but it's got to be on my terms. So you mean there's going to be a difference between the normal, how a normal Christian should be being like, God, you should just be doing anything you want through me, with me, whatever. And the people, the, the fakes in a sense. You know, the ones who are like, I'm here because it makes me look good. And that's really it, because especially prior to World War II, if you were a Pentecostal, you were the off-scouring of the earth. The black sheep of the Christian when, world. Exactly. When, when, when my grandparents were Pentecostals, they, they took flack, that generation, and definitely my great-grandparents' generation. And even when my dad was growing up in the 40s and 50s in the Church of God, you took flack. Listen, I remember in, in the area we're in right now, Pentecostals taking flack in the 80s. Not to the degree, but because we were becoming so numerous and it, it was almost like we're a part of the landscape now. You ain't getting rid of us. And so, but the farther back you go, the greater the persecution, but the greater the Pentecostal fire. And so I really think that right now, as I'm seeing a decline right now, I mean, let's be perfectly honest, you're seeing a decline in words of knowledge many times in Pentecostal churches, in tongues and interpretation, in speaking in tongues, period, and even in manifestations like being slain in the spirit. And in Pentecostal worship, your generation is really good about worshiping before the Lord with all your might, even the way that David did. And I have no problem with that. I fully endorse that. But the problem is, sadly, you're not being brought into worshiping it's one thing to dance before the Lord, but it's a different thing to dance in the Spirit, where basically the Holy Spirit is moving and you basically, you become a spectator sometimes in your own body. My grandmother was not built like a ballerina, but I remember in the early 80s when she's in her 60s, the Holy Spirit coming on her and she danced like a ballerina out from between the pews into the middle of the aisle to the back of the church and about halfway back and then the Holy Spirit lifted and she came back to the aisle and it's like, you know, but she was so lost in worship. She didn't even realize what she was doing. The Holy Spirit was just moving and she was just moving with the Spirit. 
And so there are times when I, and, and sometimes you have to be willing to take that first step of faith. And that's what would happen with me. Mom and I would dance in the spirit in the 90s in Pentecostal churches, and we would be the only ones. And, and you get these looks and it's like, you know, it's almost like, yeah, I heard somebody talk about people doing that, just never saw it before. And it's like, that's not a good thing. No. You know, when, when it's only a couple of people from a certain generation that remember and have experienced and do, that's the thing. When Moses came to the, to the edge of the promised land, he recounted all the miracles by which God had brought the people out of Israel or out of Egypt, rather. And when he got to the, there, he told the children of Israel, this is what God has done for you. This is who you are. This is your legacy. And we need to hand that legacy down. When I was teaching last year, and basically one of the things that the Lord spoke to me was that there was, because you asked me about last year, what the Lord showed me for 2020. And all that the Lord would show me right off hand for 2020 was that there was going to be great division. He took me to where Jacob and Laban parted company after 20 years, how he reconnected with his brother, had to lay some old things to rest. And I knew there was a, a time in which division would happen and longstanding relationships would happen. And I knew it would happen in denominations and countries and families and races and everything. 2020 was going to be a year of great division and it was going to go beyond 2020. But in the midst of it, there was also going to be this reun uh, reuniting with people from your past and the closing and closure on old things. But he also spoke to me about what was going to happen with the generations, the Saul, David, and Samuel generations, that there was a Samuel generation who was going to raise up a generation of Davids because God had written the Saul generation off. And I'd been teaching that late last year to gray hairs, in an adult Sunday school class of which I have many gray hairs myself. And it's like, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to be a Samuel to a generation of Davids. And within a couple of months after that, after the first of the year, I'm repeating that message to a college and career group of your contemporaries. And it's like, here's the deal. There's a, going to be a uniting of between the young and the old because those are the two marginalized generations. The old people are always told, we appreciate you, your time as you were faithful in your day, just, you know, but your time is gone. Have it's a time night. to retire. It's time to retire. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, park yourself You're on the done. chair, look dignified, and we, we've got this. And then the young people are told, you know what, America's changed. You're the future, but you're always, but it's never going to be what it was. And it's always five or 10 years down the line. It's like, you're the future, but not right now. No. And what the Holy Spirit told me was there's going to be, because basically what he said is, Saul, your 15 minutes are up. Your heart was good, but you didn't follow through. And so basically God was going to raise up a generation of Davids to replace Saul's. And that the generation of Samuels were going to basically be instrumental in raising them up. Here's the thing so far as your generation is, they always tell you that it's the future, but the future is now. The future is now. And there was going to be this uniting between the young and the old. And that's why I think that there has been such a devastating attack in separating the young and the old generations between the older, because of COVID. The older generation was like, these kids don't care. We're at the most at risk. And yet they're, you know, they don't care whether we get sick or die or not. And it's like, and the young people are, are basically, 
being separated from them. It's like, no, they just, you know, need to get out of the way and all this. It's like, no, these two generations need each other. And God is going to unite men and women of that older generation with that younger generation because they remember and have experienced and have seen the things that you're longing for that you don't even know. And you have the technological expertise and the zeal and, and, and the energy to do the things that age and time has tended to take out of the older generation. It's going to happen. And there's a number of other things that, as you know, that the Lord basically showed me last year oh, yeah. that I taught about. But the generational thing, the divisional thing, there are other things. We may talk about that some other day on, on, and, uh, or whatever. But that's really what I, I, I'm looking at. And now I will finally wrap up with how I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which has only taken, what, about probably another half hour to get around to? Eh, we'll say that. But here's one thing I will say before we get into that. <laughs> okay. No, when you were talking about Moses um, basically telling the Israelites, this is your history and this is all that stuff, uh, it reminded me of, like, it was the Brownsville Revival. Yes. The Father's Day outpouring. The message that he gave uh, was Steve Hill that he gave before everything kind of broke out mm -hmm. was basically he talked about his kid was being like a whiny butt or something one day and he was just complaining <laughs> about it. He wanted toys or something and he's like, I didn't get the new toy or something. And Steve was like, go up to your room. I'm going to show you some stuff. And he started showing him all the different things he bought him over the years of his life and stuff. And he was like, and he basically did almost that kind of thing that Moses did. But he told the church, he goes, this is what God's doing. He was here during this. He was here during that. And he's reminding the people of when God was faithful and what God did and all that stuff for him. And then revival broke out for like, what, five years? Uh, right. Yeah. I just, I don't know why. You brought up the, Mo the thing with Moses and that came to me. And I thought that was just really interesting. It is. We have been so blessed, especially here in the United States. For so long, especially since the end of World War II, no nation in the history of humanity has ever experienced the degree of blessing that this country has experienced since at least 1945. The material blessings, the spiritual blessings, the, 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 the ridiculous number of blessings. God has abundantly above what anybody could ask or think uh, blessed this, this nation. And sadly, unfortunately, it did not produce the gratitude and the thanksgiving to the one who gave us all those blessings. We take it for granted. We, we took it for granted. And, and worse yet, we did not give God the glory for it. Instead, what we did was we basically, we credited others. Yeah. It's our constitutional form of government. It's our free market. It's our military strength. It's our social, you know, conscience. It's, it's all of these other things that we have done, that we do. And it's like, no, no. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no darkness or shadow of turning. All the good things that we have received are not by our own hand. It is God who gives you the power to give wealth, to get wealth. It is God who blesses you with every good thing. And we need to recognize that and acknowledge it and be grateful and give thanks to the one to whom to whom this glory really belongs. 
And I do believe that in, in the days ahead, we're going to actually start giving him the glory because right now people are going to become more Pentecostal. Pentecostals are going to become more Pentecostal. From Pentecostal label to Pentecostal label, as I said, because as times become difficult, you're going in the same way that mom, when I was laying in that hospital bed, she pressed in and was praying for me severely. When I knew it's like, you know what? I need to get right. You follow God hard and you become truly devoted to him. And as times become more difficult and people become and, and life becomes more uncertain, I do believe that God is going to pour his spirit out in a remarkable measure. The road may not be easy. It wasn't easy for, for the Pentecostals of the early 20th century. But you know what? It will be worth it. It will be worth it. And for me, because I think Pentecost did not come easily to me, it's like I told you, they took me to, they took me to one man's house. Everyone they, they prayed for there had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit until me, <laughs> until me, you know, I, I, broke, I broke the string. I, I, I spoiled the perfect record and, uh, and, and all that. But when I got saved, it was in my bedroom after listening to that tape wasn't a crowd around, wasn't a church around, wasn't, you know, all of these things. It wasn't things. a big spectacle. It wasn't a big spectacle. It was a private moment between me and, and, and my creator. And one night after basically struggling for literally months, you know, because, you know, people are praying for you, you know, hold on, turn loose, hold on, turn loose. And it's like, and you're like, what you're do just, I need to do? And I'm it's holding like, on and, and I'm turning like, loose. And it's like, it, it's just not happening here. I reached the point where I basically said, you know what, if you ask him for a loaf of bread, will he give you a rock? You know, and it's like, if you ask him, he will give you, you need to step on in faith. And I always use this illustration for faith. The third Indiana Jones film, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where he's at the edge of that cliff and he's looking out over empty space and he takes a moment and he breathes out and he puts his hand to his chest and he closes his eyes and then he opens them again and he sticks his foot out and he steps off into empty space only to find out there really is ground there when you step out onto the empty space and it was like that for me I'm going to step out in faith and trust that the Holy Spirit will fill my mouth with the words that he wants to speak and I only got two or three and then as I continued over the next few weeks I had full-fledged prayer language within a very short period of time for some people it comes instantaneously instantaneously like grandma i mean it came and it just kept coming you know for three days however the holy spirit manifests in you the important thing is to let him do it to let him do it because it's worth it it's worth the flack you'll take the labeling the persecution because on those days when you don't know what to do and you don't know what to pray and there's nothing you can do when the doctor's report is bad and there's nothing you can do about it except pray, except to have faith, except to trust in the one who can make it right. That's what we're really needing. That's why people are so frightened nowadays because we need to be close enough to that person 
in whom there is perfect peace. Perfect love casts out fear. And if our love for Christ is perfect, we will know that his love for us is as well. And he's going to look after us no matter what. And part of that, a big part of that, is the Holy Spirit. The fruit and the gifts manifesting in our lives. And that's why I'm a Pentecostal. Because I love him and I want to keep his commandments. I want to be enabled to minister for him. And I want to fulfill his plan for my life. And so that's why I'm a Pentecostal. I think that's why everyone should want to be a Pentecostal. And see, you said all that happened when you spoke in tongues for the first time. That was just by yourself in your room. Yeah. See, that's... Whenever I've had anything happen to me, for the most part, and I've had a few things happen in church, but for the most part, I've been in my room with, like, no one around, anything like that. Like, I remember first time I ever went to like a church youth camp mm-hmm. I came back and was so excited I was you know really excited I was like I gotta tell somebody I came home no one was home everybody was out doing something I don't know what happened but I was like oh, okay kind of killed my buzz for a minute but that's okay so I go in my room and I start doing my stuff like unpacking and getting all that and I'm like I gotta tell somebody about what happened because that was my first time going to youth camp I got saved it was amazing so I called mom and I was telling her about everything that was going on and um, I was sitting I remember sitting down in my uh, in front of my computer in my little uh, chair and I was telling my mom about everything that was going on and I remember it distinctly because it was so funny to me because I'm telling her about what God was doing in my life how I got saved and my mom is on lunch and she's ordering chicken nuggets at McDonald's. And the next thing I know, God hits me so hard. I fall out of the chair. The phone's the phone's like off to the side. It's on speaker so she can hear me. And I am having like a come apart because I just got laid out. And it's like... I can see myself, but I'm not in myself, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at me. I'm like, look at me. I'm on the ground. And I hear mom still saying, Aaron, what are you doing? I can't hear you. And then she's going back to ordering her food. And <laughs> I had this weird thing where God just like hit me. And I was just laid out for like a few seconds and I came back. Right. And that's what, is that being called like slain in spirit or is that, would that be something else? Because yeah. I was... Yeah, uh, you know, it, things like being slain in the spirit, and a lot of people aren't even acquainted with what that is anymore. I mean, we're basically, it's like the Holy Spirit comes on you and your whole body shuts down and you just go down. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting because it's not the same with everybody. I see the Holy Spirit coming on people and they're like uh, like a puppet with their strings cut. They just collapse right where oh, they're yeah. at. With me, it's different. Uh, that rarely that has rarely ever happened to me in terms of the just collapsing where you're at with me I go down like a tree I'm stiff as a board and it's and I'm like a tree in the forest going down and and so and 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 the thing about it is it's like this used to be a very 
frequent, a common expression yeah. of the spirit in 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 many churches, but now you rarely see it at all. I, I actually remember, and I, I've told you this before, I remember in 1991, I was in a uh, worship service in a church of God, and somebody prayed for me, and, and I'm at the front, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of people, and they're worshiping and all that, and they're all caught up in what God's doing with them, and this minister lays his hands on me, and I'm going down. And I realized it's like, I was really close to that wooden pew behind me. I don't really think I've got clearance for this, mm. you know, because you're thinking this as you're going down. You Your know? last and it's few like, thoughts. You're and like, it's well, like, it's like, you know, if I don't have clearance, this is not good. And it's like, you know, and then it's like, and then you feel yourself hit the floor and you're not hurt. And it's like, okay, I guess I had more clearance than I thought, you know, until the spirit lifts. And then you open your eyes and you're looking at the bottom of the pew hmm. and it's like okay um and then, then you're having to sort of scrunch around so you can get out from beneath the pew and it's like okay um you can put two and God, two together you can pretty much figure you know do the math you figure out what's happened there yeah and it's like okay but nobody else everybody else was so caught up in God they were oblivious what happened to me everybody else was having their own encounters exactly and, and that's part of the thing remarkable things happen i remember uh, this was a, for a short period of time in 91 i i had attended a church of god before moving out of state and then back and i rem, uh, i remember them telling me about an incident that happened when they in in church of gods when you would have a camp meeting or revival People would come in from all kinds of, you know, uh, if you had one in Alabama, you'd get people coming in from Georgia, from Tennessee and Georgia. And, uh, all I mean, over they'd the just place. be all over the place. You'd have like, you know, half a dozen to a dozen different Church of God ministers showing up with busloads of people and van loads of people and they, everybody would support. Um, and, and so this was like in, in, and in 91, and there was a local Church of God evangelist, and he was driving a busload of, uh, and it was an actual school bus that they had bought, and and they're on their way. Uh, uh, they're having meeting. They're having a meeting on the way to on, the on the bus, and so and everybody's praying in the spirit, and they're worshiping, and people are up in you know you you know legally you're not supposed to be doing this, but they're in the aisle as the bus is moving, and the and the guy is driving there, and it's like, and all of a sudden you know he he's he's you know dancing and worshiping down the middle of the, the school is. bus, yeah, and it's like and it's like okay, well, and and it's like okay, and then afterwards it's like. Oh, and it's like, uh, who took over for so-and-so who was driving the bus? And he's like, because he's asked, like, oh, who took over for me when I was, you know, it's like, did did you? No. Did you? No. And it's like, nobody took over for him. Mm. But well. God took over for him, you know? And it's like, yeah, it's like, now see, it's like when nobody, when nobody present, it's like none of us drove the bus. And yet, you weren't driving the bus. You were in the aisle. None of us were driving the bus. Who drove the bus? You know, what I mean, it's like, yeah, it's like these are kind of things that it's like that that God what, can do. That God can do. That God will do. And I think that that's the thing. A lot of times, many times, God does His best work under the radar. 
When we're not expecting it. When we're not expecting it. Sometimes when there's not a crowd, when we're so caught up in him that we're not even seeing the glory he's pouring out on somebody else, where it doesn't become a show. A show. It's not performance art. It's not. It's a genuine it's encounter. An, it's a, yeah, it's a moment of, of genuine intimacy with the creator of all things. And that really is a serious. Um, a, a truly serious situation. When you talk about basically what you experienced there when you were just on the phone with your mother, again, when I was baptized in this, well, when I was saved, first of all, I was saved in the privacy of my own bedroom. And then again, when I was baptized in the spirit, I was baptized in the spirit in the privacy of my own bedroom. And what it taught me is that, you know what, I'm all for corporate worship. I'm all for big meetings. I'm, I'm down with all of that. But whether you're in the midst of a crowd or all alone, God can do what he wills to whom he wills and through whom he wills alone or in the midst of a multitude. And for me, it was one of those things that's like, you know what? I'm always glad when God is moving corporately because you see so many other people being blessed, slain in the spirit, filled with the spirit, healed, and all of these things. But even if it's just me and him, there is nothing preventing him from touching me intimately and personally and profoundly in a truly life-changing way. In the midst of a crowd or all alone, he is always with us. And, and if we're working in the, uh, walking in the spirit, I think we're much more cognizant of that fact. There are times where like he's, I feel like he, the encounters where you're just by yourself are the ones that are the more impactful. You know what I mean? I mean, there's great things that happen in uh, churches and congregations, you know, places where there's groups of people. But there are times where it's like the one-on-ones are the more impactful. Yeah, it's almost like in, in a family dynamic. You know, you have the big family gatherings, and those are always lots of fun, and everybody's having a good time. But then there's that moment where you and another relative are having a truly personal moment in which a memory is made that is going to basically touch you for the rest of your life. It's like, you know what, you're with your mom, you're with, you know, your your spouse, you're with your, your, your child, you're with with some relative and and it's like there's just that moment where it's like you know what it's not about the crowd it's just you and me and this is where we create a bonding moment and and God can do that in the midst of a crowd but he can also do it when it's just you and him and I think sometimes it's that thing of it's like you know what it didn't take a crowd to get him here he was willing to show up here just for me that I think makes it many times so profound for us when he does that it's crazy just the feeling you get when it happens and it's just one-on-one mm-hmm. because the for me like for me at least i am i'm the type of person who overthinks something and really dwells on something too much <laughs> but the thought of like when i was in my room after coming back from youth camp and getting slain in the spirit the thought that comes to me is the fact that okay and this may be correct this may be incorrect but this is just the thought but it's like me a nobody in Alabama coming back from one youth camp 
and being on the phone with my mom to just tell her what happened got God's attention to the point where he's like, you know what, I'm going to give him something. And I got slain the spirit. To me, that's like a really big deal. You know what I mean? It is. It's personal. It's personal attention. Yeah. In which, when honestly, when you think it's like about... It's like when your creator pays special attention to you, even for just a moment. Yes. It is something that sticks with you forever. Well, that's like you live out here in the country, but there are parts of the country where if you go out at night... There are no lights. There is nothing. And there's nothing like going out on one of those nights and looking up into the sky where you don't see any houses. You don't see any lights. It's just the star-filled sky that you look up into and you're standing there in the midst of a field or wherever and it's just you and you realize how vast God's creation really is. And you realize how truly small and insignificant we really are and that's when you realize how vast god's creation is and how great the creator is it says in the scripture what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you regardest him and it's like that the creator of all of this who is so great who is so wise who is so powerful should condescend to give me a moment of his time to show me any of his love is a profound thing. I mean, it really is when you reflect on it, the greatness of God, that he should care about us at all, that he should love us like he does, that he should make time for us and to show special care for each and every one of us. It is truly a remarkable thing. And, and I think we should reflect on that a lot more often than we do. But when we walk in the Spirit, we become, I think, more cognizant of that. We, we really do, because when the Spirit is moving in us, we experience Him so much, so much more frequently in so many different ways. You know, it, sometimes it's easy to start taking that for granted. But I think that if we've learned anything from the decline that we've seen uh, over several decades in, in many Pentecostal fellowships, again, there are churches in which half the people that go there don't even speak in tongues. And that's kind of the beginning. And so it, it's just one of these things. We need to get back to the basics. We need to understand who we are and where we've come from and our legacy in Pentecost and start actually being Pentecostals because in the days to come, we're going to truly need to be Pentecostal. You're gonna to have to have a deeper relationship with the Almighty because it's not going to be an optional. It's going to be an absolute necessity. And it pays to start growing now. Oh, yeah, instead definitely. Of, uh, instead of waiting, you know, it, it, you know, God can come through even on the spur of the moment. But, boy, it's so much better if you've already laid a foundation <laughs> uh, than to, to wait to the last moment, uh, sort of like the way I was looking to do with my salvation experience. If I could just <laughs> hold out a little longer. Just one like, more day. No, trust yeah. me. Once you get there, you realize that the worst thing you ever did was hold out longer. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you, if you don't care, like, if you don't want to do this, that's fine. If you do want to do this, that's cool too. Um, what are we up to? Well, here's the thing. Do you feel comfortable with praying for whoever listens to this to help them receive baptism in the Holy Spirit? 
Sure. Okay. Yeah, I have no problem with that. Okay. If you're listening to this program and you've listened this far, I think you understand all the reasons why you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, first of all, if you're not a believer, you need to become one because no one has ever loved you as much as Almighty God has loved you. No one has ever paid a bigger price for you in sacrificing their son than God Almighty has done for you. Nobody has endured more for you than Jesus Christ. And because of what they've done, the Holy Spirit is available to you. First of all, salvation is available to you. And if you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it really isn't that difficult. You just simply need to ask God to accept you. You need to commit your way to him and tell him, Lord, accept me. Accept me as I am. And then, Lord, make me into whom you always planned for me to be. And then once you have asked him to accept you and to come into your life and to be your Lord, not just your Savior, but your Lord, that you might walk before him in, in the fruit of the Spirit and in the understanding of his word. Then having done that, then what we're going to do is pray right now for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, for each and every one that is listening that desires the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, Lord, we just right now ask that you would move upon them. Lord, calm every fear that's in their heart. Clear every doubt that's in their mind and let them know that if they ask you that you are faithful to give them your Holy Spirit. And right now, I just ask that they would just open their mouths and that they would begin to speak that which is right now on their tongues, that they wouldn't think about it that they would simply open their mouths, knowing that you will fill their tongues with your words, with by your spirit, for your glory. And we just ask that you would do this now. If you're listening, just simply relax and simply speak whatever comes out of your mouth. Just simply relax and just let go. Let God speak through you. Don't worry about it. You're not going to understand it, and you don't have to. All you have to do is trust and speak, and just let him speak through you. We just pray right now, Father, move by your Spirit right now in them and through them, even now in the name of Jesus, as they open their mouths and they speak, fill their mouths with your words for your glory. Even now we ask it and we thank you for it and give you the praise and honor and glory for it is for your praise and honor and glory that you are doing this right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you want to stay up to date on all things regarding this show, 
please follow our Instagram page at voice in the wilderness underscore podcast or check out our Facebook page at voice in the wilderness. We also have a YouTube channel called voice in the wilderness. So please subscribe to it. Follow me on all the social media. If you're listening to this on a streaming service that allows you to follow me, please do that. If you're listening to this and they allow reviews or something like that, please leave me a review. Every little bit helps. Thank you so much for all your support.